Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. But we're not going to do Halloween today. I'll leave that for you all and for your neighborhoods for, uh, for later this evening. Today we come across this day. It's, it's really unique in the church year, at least in our church year. It's this Sunday that we call Reformation Sunday. It really is a day to remember our history. And that is unique. There are, of course, other days that we remember history, but not quite like this, where we bring it into this place and we reflect on it and we talk about our faith and, and all of these sorts of things. It really is unique. It's so unique, in fact, and I'll say that this day has a lot of tension to it, that one of my favorite things I ever heard around Reformation Sunday was this, and it was from a Catholic. A dear, dear priest friend of mine, he goes, you all still do that Reformation thing at the end of October? I said, yeah, most of the, most of the German, old German Reformed churches do. And they're like, oh good, because you know what we do? When the Pope gave us, uh, gave us authority to do the Latin Mass, we do one Latin Mass a year, and we do it on Reformation Sunday. So how do you like that? Now that kind of playful bantering, that is why I got involved in the church in the first place. But today is a holiday which simply means a holy day. It is a day set aside to pay attention to something. And here's what I wanna offer to you this morning. It is a strange Sunday because we usually think of holidays that ought to be celebrated, but I wanna say that celebration is not the most important thing that we do on this day. This holiday is something to be observed rather than celebrated. It is something in which we pay attention to what has happened, what is going on, rather than celebrating something. Because if we're going to celebrate, what is it that we're celebrating? Yes, there are things to celebrate. There are many things we've recovered as part of the Reformation. But there's also a long history of the Reformation that deserves to be mourned. And so today we observe, we pay attention, we say, what has gone on in the world and what is going on in me and in us as a community? It is a day intended to slow us down and reconnect us with the core of our faith, which means the appropriate response to this holy day is sometimes to throw our hands in the air in celebration, and then at other times to bow our heads in humble prayer for, what we, for where we failed. But regardless of what our reaction is, if you are going to call yourself an old reformed church, then you'd better stop and wonder how reformed we're really being. So today's celebration on this Reformation Day in 2021 has a particular bent, a particular focus because of the readings that are given to us for this day. Because they're all around a theme. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the word of God, the law of God, which of course is one of the great themes of the Reformation. And we began by reading in Deuteronomy, and thank you very much for those readings. We begin in Deuteronomy, where, excuse me, where the people come to the foot of Mount Sinai to receive the law. Deuteronomy is one of the great books in the Old Testament. They say the law matters. Deuteronomy, we understand, was written and kind of collected with Moses by the priests who were entrusted with the law of God. 
And say, so how do we interact with this law in a way that is faithful to who God has called us to be? And so they tell the story at the beginning of coming to Mount Sinai and to receiving the law. And just before our reading today, we have the second of two different installations of the Ten Commandments. But what Moses and the priests and Israel come to discover is that to have the law is not the same thing as living the law, loving the law, making the turn where God's ways go from this binding box of doing what God has commanded to a beloved way of life. And remember what Israel is trying to do as it comes out of slavery. It is not trying to create another box. It is not trying to enslave itself again, even if this kind of enslavement is perhaps maybe a bit more just than the last one. It is not trying to bind people. It is trying to figure out a way how to be a people together that they might have life. And so Moses gives the people a pep talk. Yes, we have these 10 ordinances that we are commanded to observe, of course. But Moses tempers them with the words that we heard today. Love the Lord your God. Love God. And, because, and, because, and that is where the law starts. The law does not start at what you do and what you don't do. The law starts at what do you love? What do you care most about? Do we love God or do we just obey a law? And so love these commandments, not as binding, but as a way of life. And there are some instructions that are given. He says, talk about them. He says, talk about them regularly. He says, tie them as symbols around your forehead. He says, write them on your door frames. Now, if we were going to take the scriptures literally, we should all be tying, you know, like Cobra Kai, you know, tie the, tie the scriptures to our forehead. That's not, that's exactly like our face mask. Just write it all here and we'll wear it. No, that's not what we're being invited to do. But let them be as disgust, talk about them. Let them be as disgust in your house as the Ravens game will be this afternoon. Which is totally fine, by the way. And some of you are like, yeah, we don't talk about the Ravens game. Well, whatever did you talk about? There's no, oh, that's right, they're off today. It has been a day. Halloween, I got no Ravens game, right, Joe? Jeez. <laughs> Tie them as symbols. Wear them. Wear these things. Let them be as part of your personality as the clothes that you're wearing. And you all are doing that. That, can, that, that works. Make them be as present and familiar as the doorposts of your house where you just kind of know what they look at. Let the law not just be a thing that you hear when you're in trouble. Let them be something that informs your life in your conversation. The th the wear them on your body. Talk about them. Live in them as you live inside your house. Moses isn't saying, don't be bound by this. Let it contribute to life. And Jesus picks up on this. When questioned by a scribe who overheard a heated conversation. And we should pay attention because there are plenty of times Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I tell you to do this. Plenty of times Jesus wants to go away from what the law says. And we can talk about that later, but Jesus got a funny thing about the law. But here he quotes it exactly. The scribe comes up and he says, which commandment is the first? And Jesus, word for word, says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He tacks that on at the end. But nevertheless, 
This scribe, who was obviously well-schooled, I mean, it's a scribe after all, but he had thought a lot about this. He comes back at Jesus and congratulates Jesus, which is kind of funny. He's like, you know, you're a pretty smart guy. You got it right. It's more important. To love God is more important than all the sacrifices and all the offerings that you could possibly give. It's more important than all your religious observances. And that goes beyond Moses, because Moses later is going to say, here's all the religious observances. And she's like, yeah, actually, just loving God is way more important than that. But the point of both these readings is the same. Our relationship with God is always going to be based not on law, but on love. But that love is going to grow from engagement with and commitment to the word that is handed down from generation to generation. Which brings us to Reformation. The Reformation was about a lot of things. The world was prepared to bust open, moving out of the Middle Ages and ultimately into the Renaissance. And because of that, economics were about to be turned upside down. Nations were about to be turned upside down. There was going to be a whole reorganization of Europe and Asia. And oh, by the way, they were still reeling from a pandemic that had killed a third of Europe. But underneath all of this, underneath all of this social upheaval, in the belly of the church, there was a rumbling to rediscover this treasure that we call the word. Like so much of Europe, the Bible, as it had come to be understood, was buried under so much buildup over the centuries. Europe buried under the Middle Ages, and the Bible buried under church practice. The Bible was hidden behind the paywall, so to speak, of inaccessible languages and rampant illiteracy. And so the Bible was left in the hands of a clergy class. And as a member of said class, let me tell you that we're not always the best with it, even though we say we are. But it took time for that fire in the belly to finally grow to the point where, we, where the church could ask questions about what is this Bible and how does it function in the life of the believer? And long before Luther, John Wycliffe was 200 years before Luther, living in the middle of the Black Plague, which means he's instantly one of my favorites because I connect with him now in a way I never did before. And he said this, before Luther, he said, the gospel alone is sufficient to rule the lives of Christians everywhere. Any additional rules made to govern men's conduct added nothing to the perfection already found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was already saying, y'all, what we need is here. And not only that, but he wanted people to be able to engage with it. And so he was, like we often give Luther a lot of credit. He translated the Bible into German, and that was a beautiful, wonderful thing. John Wycliffe translated the Bible into Middle English 200 years before Luther. What Wycliffe didn't have was a distribution method. And so it didn't take in quite the same way. There was a spiritual community that built up, but because of its smallness, it was, it was pretty oppressed and didn't quite get going. In fact, we're not even sure that Luther even knew that Wycliffe existed. But what Wycliffe wanted us to know long before Luther was that we've got to fall back in love with the story of Jesus. And then we do come to the ref. And there are other reformers. Jan Hus, I was going to do a whole thing about him this morning, but you all don't want to hear me talk that long. And so we do come to Luther, and yes, there's much that we know about Luther. And we, and we know his famous stand where he says, my, my conscience is captive to the word of God. Here I stand, I can do no other. 
But that's not all that he said. Luther, in his particularly biting, and I'm being playful here, his biting Lutheran style, he said what he wrote once, the neglect of scripture, even by spiritual leaders, is one of the greatest evils in the world. Everything else, arts or literature, is pursued and practiced day and night, and there is no end of labor and effort. But holy scripture is neglected as if there was no need of it. But its words are not, as some think, mere literature. They're words of life, intended not for speculation and fancy, but for life and for action. May Christ our Lord help us by his spirit to love and honor his holy word with all our hearts. He's calling it out. He's saying this is being neglected, and when we neglect the words of God, we neglect our own spirits because they are here for us for life and for action. They're not here for entertainment. They're here to introduce us to life. And Luther called this out. And the only difference between Luther and Wycliffe is that he had a printing press. And that's why the message caught fire and spread throughout Europe. But even he wasn't the only one. I've been inspired this over the last couple of weeks with some, as, as, I've, as I've observed um, the passing of my grandmother last year from COVID in October, I've been reconnecting with a little bit of her faith and that side of the family and their tradition, which means I've been reconnecting a lot with the brethren side of my family. I've got a decent amount of that going on. And then more to the point, as I was hanging out at the, at the Central Atlantic Conference meeting, I met a, cler a young clergywoman about my age, which is such a joy for me sometimes. And we hung out and she told me that she had gone to a Mennonite seminary. I had no idea. So like, I got I to gotta dig back into some of this stuff. And so we were talking. I was like, who should I go read? And she's like, well, you know who to start with. Start with Menno Simons. Like, Menno Simons? Well, Menno, Mennonite. One of the founders of that entire branch of the scriptures. One that has played so much a role in my own faith. And Simons said this. He said, you see, dear reader, I admonish and advise you. If you seek God with all your heart and do not want to be deceived... Do not depend upon men and the doctrine of men, no matter how venerable, holy, and excellent they may be esteemed. Put your trust in Christ alone and in his word and in the sure instructions and practice of his holy apostles. And by the grace of God, you will be safe from all false doctrine and the power of the devil and will walk with a free and pious mind before God. Simons reaches back and grabs Moses and he says, if you seek God with all your heart, and do not want to be deceived. Put your trust in Christ and in his word. And it's one of the great things that I treasure, is that there was somebody back in my family who loved the Bible enough to give it to me and turn me loose on it and said, tell me what you find. And you can hear in the reformers' voices, and there are many. Some of you will glare at me and say, where are like, the reform guys? Like, What about Calvin, all those guys? And you go look them up. But throughout the reformers, you hear in their words a passion, not just for the written word. You hear in them a passion for God. And because they have a passion for God, they have a commitment to discovering what it means to, leave, to live well and to help other people live well. They have a fascination with how God is renewing the world because they lived in a time of renewal. And the Reformation calls us to a particular kind of faith. It calls us to a faith that looks backwards to recover the treasures of the faith, but then it grabs those treasures, dusts them off, and points them forward towards a new and better way of being in the world. 
Yes, it is old, but it is old in the service of the new. And the talisman, so to speak, the centerpiece of all this was about going back, grabbing these scriptures, which has informed the people's lives for thousands of years, dusting them off, figuring out how they speak, and aiming them towards a new and better future. There are many reasons, there are many things that it means to be when we say we're reformed, but certainly that is among the chief, right? We care about this word and we dust it off. We let it speak into our own setting and we try to see what God's doing with it. So if that is the celebration of this holy day, then allow me to do a little bit of mourning as well. Because we have a question as a collective church. As the churches of the Reformation, we have a question we need to ask ourselves. How well have we handled the written word? It's not great. Demographics right now say that 65% of the United States identifies as Christians of some, of some bent. Yes, that includes Protestants, Catholics, Evangelicals, yada, yada, yada. But of that 65% of the United States, only 11% of Americans read the Bible with any frequency. One-third of Christians say they've never read the Bible in their lives. Say it again. One-third of Christians say they've never read the Bible. If at one time the Bible was hidden behind the paywalls of clerical control and illiteracy, today the scriptures are hidden behind the paywall of indifference. My friends, allow me to be so blunt when I say that is unacceptable for the churches of the Reformation. It is unacceptable for those of us who care about the story of God's, God's work in the world. We cannot be that way. Now, that doesn't mean we need to be scholars, but to never engage with this. We have some work to do. To be a church of the Reformation, to be reformed, is to have the word not just as an infrequent companion, not just as the purview of clergy or our Sunday school teachers. It is to be engaged with the word. Not to tie it to our foreheads, but rather let it sink into our hearts with the honor that comes from regularity. Now, there's more than one way that not engaging, that our, our lack of experience with scriptures can go sideways. Yes, there is the, on the one hand, we can be indifferent to it. And we can say, well, you know, it's, it's a funny big book and I don't really want to deal with it. And I don't really understand it. And I understand that, but we, we can start there. That's one way of dishonoring the scriptures. But there's another way that we can take the scriptures into an unhealthy place. And that is when we make of it a substitute for the relationship that we are called to have with God. In other words, we can take one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt ha not have any graven image, and go right ahead and make the Bible an idol which sits in place of God. It becomes a thing that is worshipped rather than a tool to take us to the one who is to be worshipped. And we've all heard this kind of thinking, and I hear it regularly. The Bible says it, and that settles it. <laughs> Does it? Does it? Because the Bible is complicated. It's not easy. But when we do this, what we do is we dishonor the word in this way. Because rarely when we say the Bible says it and that's it, rarely what we're doing is changing ourselves because what we're reading into the Bible is what we already believe. We say, and, and we point to it and say, see, the Bible backs me up, the Bible says it, and therefore I believe it. 
So what's changing when we do that is not me who is supposed to be the one being formed by God. No, it's the Bible who changes to fit me. And that is the very definition of an idol when we make a God that we can worship that looks an awful lot like myself. And when we do that, that is an even higher form, perhaps, of dishonor to the scriptures than indifference. My friends, let us be clear. The Bible is not God. The Bible is the witness of God's people in the world to what God is doing. It is a tool that is intended to point us to God. And because it is a tool, we keep it with us regularly. We ask questions of it. We wrestle with it. Sometimes we flat out disagree with it, but we're always engaged with it. Like any other relationship in our life that matters, it is living. And we got to let it live and we got to let it breathe. And so the question that I would pose for us this morning is where is the Bible really challenging you right now? How are you engaged with the scriptures? Is there something that you're having a hard time with? Because number one, if there's something you're having a hard time with, it means you're engaged with it. And that is to be celebrated. Don't let the doubts and the questions get you down. But second, if the Bible is challenging us, it means we're allowing the Bible to read us rather than us just telling the Bible what it's going to mean, which is what we're called to do. The Bible should be reading us and allowing us to be formed. So where's the Bible challenging us right now? And if it's not, then that is a cause for prayer today. To say, Lord, I don't quite, this is, this is a, Lord, spark my soul with these words that have sparked your people for generations. Because, friends, let us remember that the point is not to get the Bible. I said this in Sunday school the other day. The point is not to have the Bible figured out. We're not better Christians because we've got the Bible memorized from A to Z. The point of our faith is to get to God, which is what the Reformers were doing. They wanted to see vibrant faith in their people, and they knew the Bible was an essential tool to getting us there. The Bible is the collected stories and language of the people of God that shapes our life together and helps move us towards God. And when it does that, it carries authority. It leads us to Jesus. When it stops doing that, when it fails to witness to Christ, it stops having the power that Moses understood and Jesus understood and the scribe discerned and which our forebears told us was present. As it leads me to Jesus... As it leads you to Jesus, it becomes authoritative for us together and is authoritative because it gives us life. So friends, on this Reformation Sunday, as you come into church with your little Halloween bucket, maybe one thing we need to put into our bucket today is a little bit of love for the scriptures again. May we fall back in love with this grand story. No grander story has ever been written. Let us fall back in love with the scriptures again. And if there, will be a renewal, if there will be a new renewal in the church, and our current pandemic suggests to me that God might have such a thing in store, if there will be renewal in the church, then it will be a church not only that does good work in the world and has half-decent worship, yada, 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 all the things we think about, it will be a church that discovers the Bible yet again and falls in love with it as it is and allows it to shape us into the people that we are called to be. Amen.